0: Welcome to Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Brought to you by our title sponsor, Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Come along with us as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. We have partnered with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab to help get you in shape and mentally stronger. Whether you're a veteran hunter or just starting out, the Mountain Tough app will take you to the next level. We personally train using the Mountain Tough programs and we believe in it so much that we want to give you six weeks for free using code SHEEPBC, that's S-H-E-E-P-B-C. Check out Mountain Tough Fitness Lab, you won't be disappointed. Well good evening Mr. Rensmag coming in hot from Prince George, how's it going brother?
1: Oh not too bad yourself, Uh, you know, just living the dream up here and apparently winter went away this weekend, so (laughs) how's it going with you? Yeah, good. It's uh
0: can't complain too much. November is rolling around. It's uh uh trying to keep the podcast train rolling's always a tough time during hunting season. So there's a sharp drop off in guests and then all of a sudden December, January rolls around and everyone's back.
1: So <laughs> Oh yeah, the that fall season is something else trying to get guests and is, they're not even saying no. They're busy, there's they're not even seeing the messages, they're responding is and then a couple months later, yeah, we'll get everybody answering back. Hey, I'll come on now. It's like, well, we were looking for you a couple months ago, but sure. Let's stack up the podcasts. Yeah, awesome.
0: Well, it's good to hear your voice, man. We haven't talked for a couple weeks either, um, We've, uh, but uh, good to connect here. And so huge news for the podcast.
1: And, Absolutely. Um,
0: yeah. So... Uh, our good friends over at mountain tough fitness have come on as our title sponsor and we're absolutely freaking elated to have them obviously a, a great brand. And uh, got a, such a great name, 2% certified and um, really good people over there and uh, great programs. Uh, I use mine for my doll hunt uh, this year and just awesome programming. And um, uh, there's a, they're obviously offering a discount code uh, for people to try it out, to take the program, take it for a drive for six weeks and uh, see how you like it and uh, if you're like me I tried it out I'm like yeah I need this and uh, so I'm going to be doing their off-season program here during the winter time and just staying uh, I guess in moderate
1: sheep shape and uh, be ready for for my doll draw for 24 I guess right <laughs> oh man if you get a doll draw on 24 I'm I'm writing a letter to somebody <laughs> so, yeah I know their uh, that discount code will be in our show notes too so take advantage of that. Give it a six week trial and I'm sure you'll be buying in right after you're done that six weeks. Yeah. Awesome. So
0: yeah, really excited to be working with uh, Mountain Tuss Tough Fitness Labs and uh, we've had Dustin on the podcast before. We'll have him on again. And uh, yeah, so welcome to the podcast, uh, Mountain Tough Fitness. Thanks for for jumping aboard and we we look forward to, to
1: sharing the message with you guys over the next year here. So. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Someone's company supporting our voices but hey here we are <laughs> <laughs> something happened uh this past weekend saturday night we had a couple of draws go down yeah
0: so thank you again to everyone that supported all our uh you know raffles it's incredible to support we we had two fantastic raffles we had our jurassic classic sacco rifle raffle which is supporting our Fraser River Test and Remove Program. Full donation from Seiko, and uh, Steiner Optics. And uh, couldn't be more elated to the support they've given us. That was a full sellout. And it will go a long ways to support our conservation initiatives here in BC on the on the Fraser. And, of course, you're very familiar with that. Greg, haven't spent all the time up there doing the sheep counts. And then our Danny Strong. And, uh, again, another amazing raffle. This raffle is so phenomenal because it was member driven, it was member supported, and it supported one of our uh, members that's no longer with us, part of our sheep family, uh, Danielle Cabana, six-year-old, and uh, Dennis and Teresa was their daughter. She passed away last year, Uh, absolutely heart-wrenching story, but what we've done is we've we ran this raffle. It was supported by Nolan and Amanda one and a whole bunch of other members that got together, put the resources together, went to precision optics, precision optics kicked in and uh, put together this amazing raffle over 32,000 in prizes. And we drew that winner on Saturday night. Uh, Dennis and Teresa were over for that. Nolan and Amanda came down and, um, you know, just, you could just feel the energy and, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's just amazing, you know, and it, but what it's done is it's created this legacy for Danielle. Her name will be forever enshrined as a monarch. Of course, the money's going to our conservation efforts here in BC. Um, it's still going to support wild sheep, but it's also going to uh, create this legacy, this memory, a conservation legacy in da- Danny's name. So amazing. And uh, congratulations to our two winners. If you haven't heard the winner, if you don't, if you haven't heard from me, you haven't won, that's the bad news. Uh, but if you want to know who won, it's up on the website now and uh, we sent an e-blast out and everything. So, but we've got a cool new raffle out and uh, again, another memorial piece again, driven by our members. Greg, our members are phenomenal. Like the Wild Sheep Society BC, BC membership is unreal.
1: Yeah. I don't even want to call them members anymore. It's just family. We're one big yeah. family and they're all the lifeblood of this organization and they They just keep the wheels turning for us it's it's an incredible it's an incredible family to be a part of and you can never say enough good things about the membership we have
0: yeah well stated so this raffle it's our big bore series which is a memorial series raffle and uh don line has been driving this bus now for several years one of our past directors dave marsh who we lost uh a number of years ago now, uh, he, was his memory's been kept alive through this big bore raffle, and Don's donated another rifle. He donated one for uh, recently for our Camloops convention, and he's donated this 280 AI. It's unbelievable. This is super cool, Greg. It's got a special serial number. He went out. You can get a serial number. You got to order it, of course, and there's a, a process, but the serial number on this rifle is 2023 WSSBC. That's the rifle serial number. So it's so super cool. Um, It's got a Defiance uh, anti-long action. Um, It's topped with a, uh, I think it's a Nikon. Oh, sorry. It's a a Zeiss V4 scope. Yeah, Nikon, sorry. Uh, Slipped there. And uh, just carbon fiber barrel, the whole works. Absolutely gorgeous rifle. Um, It's custom built by Gary Flack, like all these Don Lynham big bore rifle series are. And it's absolutely tricked out. So check it out. Um, We'll put the notes on that in the uh, the show notes as well. But amazing rifle. And again, uh, that serial number. How cool is that?
1: Yeah, that's a a a one-of-a-kind piece. And I don't know. I don't have any rifles in my safe that uh, got a WSSBC serial number. But uh, luckily for everybody out there listening, I can't win it. Can't even buy a ticket. me
0: either. I know, Stupid that rules. That's, <laughs> that's the one thing that sucks about it. It's like the directors can't can't enter, can't win. So, yeah, which is uh, which makes sense. I get it. It be doesn't look good, but uh, okay. What so uh, something's happening? We got our salute to conservation and mountain hunting expo. Is we've moved this year to Penticton. We've got a brand new huge facility, and registration is now open. Head over to wildsheepsociety.com. And uh, the cl- links are all on the front page of the website. And this year is a year to, if you're going to come to our show, this is it. And uh, we're creating this mountain hunting expo and it's for mountain hunters. We have um, Aaron Snyder is going to be there. We got uh, Adam Foss is going to be there. Julie McQueen from Carbon TV is going to be there. Um, there's just a huge lineup of people that are connected to the outdoors. We're going to have a podcast booth. We're inviting all the podcasters um, in in our space to come and, and hang out. And um, I think uh, Mr. Nichols is going to be there. He's um, he's going to have a booth, I believe, but he's certainly going to be podcasting at the show. So uh, lots of really cool stuff going on. we got some great names um, that are coming this year, a great lineup. We're growing significantly over what we've had in the past. We were always constrained in Kamloops. But uh, Penticton is is a great new venue. It's huge. Um, it's going to be a Friday night banquet and a Saturday night banquet. We got the Mountain Hunting Expo, of course, Life Member Breakfast. We got all our backpack races and uh, some huge sponsors. It's going to be it's going to be one for the books for sure. I'm too, I'm so stoked, Greg.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting times, and you know this is this is going to be a game changer, not just for us, but a game changer for mountain hunting. Because where can you go? Where can you go? Get all those people in one room, especially here in BC. It's not. It doesn't happen. And we're going to have every booth is going to be something you need for the outdoors, and you're going to be able to get it in that room. And plus, you're going to have a great time with us. So hey, make sure you go. We'll be there. Yeah, you can see Kyle's shiny face everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, but we're trying to sell the thing, buddy. Come on.
1: Uh, Well, you'll be walking around doing your handshakes, kissing babies, you know, the the usual politics.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the the cool thing is we're going to do our Sheep Hunter University again this year, and we're running seminars. Basically, start Friday at 10 a.m., all day Friday, all day Saturday, and uh, you can go down and meet with the best of the best and have discussions about everything you need to know about mountain hunting Uh, we've got a really really cool lineup we haven't released that lineup yet but it'll be up here shortly but like i said you know some of the headliners we've mentioned earlier and just great people in our space and uh you're gonna if you if you want to learn about mountain hunting that's that's the place you want to be um you know guys reach out all the time like i want to go sheep hunting how do i do it well come to the show that's that's how you do it that's how i did it uh i got my first sheep because I went to that show and um, I, I, I can't say enough about uh, about it. And on top of it, just for anyone up north, our Northern fundraisers open now too. Of course, that always sells out and it's well on its way. Um, we're about 65% or 70% we opened up uh, just over a week ago. So obviously, if you're thinking about our Northern Fundraiser, and so that's uh, February 2nd and 3rd. February 3rd is it um, in Dawson Creek for our Northern fundraiser. And then our Kamloops event, no, our Penticton uh, event, the Salutes Conservation. Yeah. I, yeah sorry, Greg. It's okay. We're turning the table here. So, is. Uh, the the night of the 22nd, we're doing a whiskey tasting, which is a Thursday night. And that's open to anyone that wants to, you buy tickets on that. That's up on the website. Um, Of course, we'll have some Chadwick whiskey there, I suspect. And then on the 23rd and 24th is our two full days of shows, life member breakfast the morning of the 24th, and it's going to be a good one.
1: Yeah. uh, Don't miss out. Grab your tickets because every single year, we get the, how can I get my tickets? They're soloed on the website, emails, phone calls, text messages. Just don't wait. Get on it. Yep. Yeah. We'll be advertising it everywhere. And if you want to see what's going to be happening and who's going to be there, follow our social media as we're going to start drip feeding you all sorts of good information. So if you're hesitant on buying tickets, you won't be for long if you're watching us.
0: Awesome. Well said. Okay, enough of us. Let's talk to uh, someone that's super interesting. Uh, not that you're not interesting, Greg, but uh, uh, Dr. Ryan Brock is—he's uh, uh, unbelievable. This guy is amazing. He has done so much for youth. Um, he's uh, works with the Wild Sheep Foundation, and he basically runs the youth programs for the Wild Sheep Foundation. Uh, but he happens to be a full-time teacher as well and uh, does a whole bunch of other stuff. The guy is just unbelievable on how much he's accomplished in his life. Um, He's won uh, so many awards for all the work that he's done and he's introduced so many people to sheep, wild sheep to hunting the outdoors and just a phenomenal guy. So Ryan's got a really cool story. We're really grateful to have him on the show and, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this chat with Dr. Ryan Brock from the Wild Sheep Foundation. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Yeti. Thank you Sitka Gear and Yeti for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Well, awesome to see your smiling face, Ryan. I see you're uh, sitting in the classroom there. And uh, So where, where are you coming to us live from? So I
2: am coming from Reno, Nevada. I'm uh, in my fifth grade classroom, room C5 of Jesse Beck Elementary School.
0: Awesome. So um, for those that don't know you, um, Ryan Brock is uh, Dr. Ryan Brock. It leads Wild Sheep Foundation's uh, youth initiatives, and uh, you've done so much on the on the youth front, Ryan, and there's so much to dig into but kind of before we dig into all that stuff and all the great work that you've, you, you're you doing and continue to do day in and day out, what got you to where you're at today? So where, where did this come from? How did you get started, I guess, in education and your, your zest for hunting and the outdoors?
2: You know, I, I never, ever wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher. My grandparents, even my great-grandparents were teachers. Um, my dad worked for the wildlife refuge system. So I always wanted to go into wildlife management. And it was in college I made that shift. I did a summer recreation program and just fell in love with the education part and switched it and eventually found out that I love teaching specifically about science. And so got my degree and started teaching elementary school. And it was when I was in Reno, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation had a world bugling championship that would come. And my dad would always come down, we'd go to it. And I'm thought I can get a group of kids together and we can go teach them to bugle. And, and that kind of started it. That became a tradition at the school for about eight years. We would go and teach kids how to make calls of the elk. And eventually that triggered a turkey club and a duck club. And then I was working on my doctorate up at the University of Nevada, Reno, and I had to choose a thesis. And I was fascinated with how to develop environmental identity in children. And I used those nature clubs that were lunch clubs and turn them into after school clubs and um, ended up getting a doctorate um, studying kids and developing and creating uh, connections to nature for the most part. So that's kind of what triggered it all. And uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation reached out to me right after my PhD when I was done with everything. And I told told my wife, I'm done. I just want to teach. We had our first child. I said, I want life to be simple. And uh, Gray Thornton reached out to me and said, hey, we hear great things about you and we're looking for someone to hire. And it really, uh, my wife and I had a conversation. I wasn't so sure. And she's like, this is what you've worked your whole life for. Like, this is your passion. And I'm so glad that that I accepted. I've just had such a great uh, man, 12 years or so with the Wild Sheep Foundation by now.
0: Uh, that's very cool, Ryan. So there's kind of two aspects. There's the, the teaching and the, and the doctorate side of things. And then there's the the youth and the outdoors side of things. Did you grow up as a hunter? Is it was it in your blood as a as a young kid or?
2: Yes, my dad I think was born a hundred years too late. He should have been a mountain man, and so we grew up backpacking. Uh, I grew up hunting with him, um, and 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 hiking and backpacking. And so I got my passion, you know, from both my parents. But my dad was the one that was really passionate about the outdoors and the hunting, and so that carried on to me. Um, once I got into high school and college, I kind of didn't, I got out of hunting through college for a little bit. And then when I was in my first couple of years teaching, got right back into trying hunting at that point, kind of on my own and kind of learning to kind of, you know, clean an animal by myself for the first time. And, 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 you know, as we all do and make that transition to doing it independently. And, And ever since, I just love it. I love introducing kids to all aspects of the outdoors, nature and archery, all that.
0: That's awesome. So did you grow up in the the Nevada area or were you you elsewhere? A
2: little of both. My parents were divorced and I was in Durango, Colorado. And my dad was up in uh, Medicine Lake, Montana, working on a wildlife refuge. So I'd spend all summer in the middle of nowhere on a wildlife refuge on my bike and just explore, you know, I have a skull collection to this day from all the skulls that I found that I still use teaching in fifth grade. Um, He ended up moving to Colorado to be closer to us just three hours away. And so that's when I really got into the hunting. I was, you know, at that point heading out with him to the duck blinds and fourth, fifth, sixth grade really involved with a lot of the bird hunting. And, and then ninth grade ended up moving with him. um, And we did a lot of hunting first kind of big game elk and big game deer at that point.
0: Very cool. Now the wildlife refuge, what kind of, what was that set up? What, what was, so did that he
2: worked on several, he mainly that was, a, a duck refuge. Um, and from there he came down to Alamosa wildlife refuge and that was a duck refuge pr- predominantly as well. And I ended up in the summer times getting jobs there doing duck nest studies. And it was more of a volunteer deal. I got like 12 bucks a day. Um, by the third year, first time I just went out to walk with him and just kind of, you know, see what was going on. Then he moved to uh, the Array Refuge in Utah. And by then I was in high school, so I could actually do it a little bit more as an actual volunteer. Um, and it was like a couple week job. So I had a lot of experience and even applied for a scholarship here in Nevada. My mom moved to a tiny town in Southern Nevada and I went to high school in Moapa Valley and there was a scholarship um, for wildlife management and department of wildlife actually flew me up to Reno, my high school year and interviewed me and I didn't get it. They said I was too focused on, I felt knowing what I wanted. I wanted to work on a wildlife refuge like my dad and they were, there's so many other aspects of wildlife management. And so I didn't get it. Um, and what's neat is I was able to pull that around and now pull all of those passions of wildlife into the teaching I do, both in the classroom and informally through the Wild Sheep Foundation.
0: That is uh, that is awesome. So now specifically, is it science that you're teaching? I think you mentioned grade five. Is it science? Or do you do mathematics as well? Or yes, how does that work?
2: it's all of it. I teach the okay. English language arts, uh, the social studies, the science, um, computer science. I'm real passionate about that as well and teaching coding and things. But, but my passion is Is math and science, but specifically math. All my degrees have minors in science and science education. And I taught at UNR for a couple years as an exchange program with our school district and taught pre service teachers. And my favorite classes were the science methods and science practicum classes.
0: Very cool. So now, how does this translate from not really? wanting to do any teaching that wasn't really a, a thing to your, a, a get your doctorate and you know, you've know taken it. you know, So is education a big thing in your family or is that something you just you got into the, the school part of it? You're like, I love this. And you just were passionate and kept going. How does that work?
2: Both of my parents from the very beginning, very young, told me I was going to college. We had okay. savings accounts from elementary school and you know getting into middle school and high school, my dad would kind of show me how much I had. So it was always expected I was going was expected I'd move out of the house and move into the dorms that freshman year. Um, and so that was always kind of there for me. Um, mm. Switching into teaching was different. You know, my dad, I'm not sure he enjoyed it as much as my mom. My mom was a teacher. Um, my dad totally gets it and understands now. I, I think there's some natural tendencies that I have that um, go into making me maybe more effective teacher than maybe some other people. I don't know what it is. It's hard to nail down, but. Um, I'm passionate about it. And the kids really seem to relate to those passions. And I try to find the things that excite me and tie that into our reading, tie it into our math and our science. And I think that has that connections with the kids. And I think I'm able to do that in the informal realm as well, just with those outdoor passions I grew up learning about as a kid. And they still excite me.
0: Mm hmm. Hmm. So you mentioned your dad and he wasn't really expecting the teacher thing. Was he thinking you'd be following his footsteps in the wildlife uh, regime in some capacity?
2: It was always from third grade on, you know, yep, I want to work on a wildlife refuge. And and I kept saying that, And you know, he was always telling me, you got to work hard. It's hard to get a job like what I'm doing. You you have all these other people you're competing with. Um, And so, yeah, it was never in my mind anything else. Um, until I started having some experiences with working with kids. And um, and when I did that switch in college, most of all but one class counted because um, I switched pretty early on right in that freshman years when I decided to change over um, with that. And the doctorate was an interesting thing. I never was expecting to get a doctorate. Um, once I became a teacher, um, my mom always told me, you've got to get – higher education, to make money as a teacher. You can't stay with the bachelor's, you know, take a year off, get the master's and you get these pay raises and they're not much, but they're enough, you know, and over 30 years of teaching, they, they count quite a bit. So you want to get them early on. And so I got my master's and then I got hired up at UNR here in Reno. And I was working with all my professors from my master's program. And uh, my main advisor says, hey, we have a Ph.D. program. Why don't you get it? I don't know. I was there going to only be there for three years as a three year deal. And I was paying for parking. That was a big deal. I was already paying for parking. I got reduced tuition because I was working there and I was already up there. And he goes, we can try getting it in three years. And that was the push. And so I did it. And then Dr. Crowther was really trying to push me to be a science educator in college. And there were a couple spots open in Kansas and Nebraska. And I just didn't have a desire really to move there. It was right during the the housing crunch where everything was falling apart. And my wife and I didn't want to be new people at the bottom of the totem pole in these other places trying to find jobs. So I ended up very luckily getting hired back at my same elementary school, um, but as a doctor. And and it's kind of a cool deal, you know. Um, It's the first thing when kids come in. We always talk about, you know, I'm a doctor, but you you cut yourself and I'm going to give you a Band-Aid. That's it. I'm a different type of doctor. So it's kind of a fun little joke that we kind of do and, and the kids play off it as well throughout the school year.
0: So Ryan, how common is it where you have someone such as yourself that's so highly qualified with a doctorate that's in, you know, middle school or, or elementary education? Is that pretty common or obviously pretty common in a college, but is that common in a high, at that level?
2: You know, you'll see it once in a while in high schools or um, elementary, middle schools, not very much. Um, I know there is a middle school teacher here in Reno who's working on getting her doctorate. There will be some, but they're usually in administration. And they specifically go into an administration doctorate. um, And it's a little bit different. I ended up getting the PhD. And it was one of those things where I purposely did not take a single course in administration. I wanted nothing to do with running the... (laughs) administration of the school. I like the teaching. I like the hands-on with the kids and, and creating that passion. And so I can't ever be hired as an administrator. So I always make lower wages as a teacher. But it's where I it's where I choose to be.
0: Awesome. So let's talk about the branch over to I guess the Wild Sheep Foundation. Actually, before we do that, how much of the stuff that uh, the outdoor stuff, uh, archery? Um, educating about uh, the science and of things about wildlife, do you do in the classroom itself? How much would you say, what portion of your time would you spend on something like that?
2: You know, we do quite a bit on, on a daily or weekly basis. It's limited. Um, for, you know, a good decade, starting probably my third or fourth year, I started doing those nature clubs. And that would be during lunchtime and things like that. And I could see that I could reach out to conservation groups and it started with Northern Nevada Safari Club International. Um, I heard about this camp uh, called American Wilderness Leadership School up by Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I reached out to a local chapter of SCI and they sponsored me and paid for my way to go up there for a week long summer camp. And I came back and I started doing these clubs and I reached out to them for like four hundred dollars to get some animal calls to teach kids about uh, bugling. Every year I asked for a little bit more, eventually they talked me into being on their board. And so then I started having a little more insight into how conservation groups kind of work and the fundraising that goes into that. Um, and then how the money gets distributed to worthwhile causes. Um, in the classroom, then I also learned that I could do these field trips that could be overnight. I had never heard of that in, in you know, when I was in elementary school or, or middle school. And so I started taking just my class on a camping trip. And we tie in the science where they're collecting data, analyzing it. Um, And it was just a one-night trip. And eventually that moved into a whole grade level where we would take 80 to 100 kids all camping, lots of parents. They all planned their own meals. So that's where a lot of my passion started pulling into those parts. Um, When I came back from UNR, I wanted to then create a fifth-grade field trip because I had taught fourth grade previously with the overnight trip, but I wanted it to be different. Um, and that led up to now we take all the fifth graders on a, a four day, three night, overnight outdoor school experience into California. And I really hope to create those long lasting memories. They're not going to remember a math lesson on multiplying decimals. They're gonna remember those, the, those hands-on experiences that are different, rather they're in the classroom or outside. But I think going, to what I call a dirt floor classroom are really where those experiences are going to be remembered long-term.
0: Yeah, very inspiring. So where does funding for that come? Is that something the school pays for? Is it something that you guys fundraise outside of it or how does that work?
2: Yeah, so it is all 100% fundraised from outside sources. And, you know, originally it it was pretty inexpensive. We'd take a school bus, a one night overnight trip. We'd ask the parents to provide food that the kids would plan. And so really it it wasn't much money. Um, eventually school buses became harder to come by and fourth grade now has to rent a charter bus. So the kids do fundraising throughout the year. It's like $40 for that trip for overnight one it's getting close to $400 a kid. And I spend a lot of time writing grants for that. And I've been very successful in Nevada here with some conservation groups that um, have been able to help me fund that. And so for the 11 years that we've been taking these kids on the, the overnight one for almost a whole week, um, they they don't pay anything. It's been fully funded the whole time. And I think that's important. I think conservation groups understand that. You know, they might not be able to fund the whole thing, but they can chip in a little bit here or there. Um, I look into, there's a geological society of Nevada. And so if we do anything with rocks and minerals, so we specifically do one lesson where we can then connect that and get another, you know, four or $500 to help pay for busing there. So it's a lot of work, a lot of work, but um, to me, once I'm out there, all that hard work pays off, and I just get to watch the learning that 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 happens that can't happen inside four walls of a classroom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. So you talked about Northern Nevada SCI. They they were kind of a partner with you guys or with you early on. And then the foundation, you talked about Gray reaching out. So did he hear, because I know we have, I think it's Marty Harson is maybe connected uh, through both. And um, is that the connection or how did did the Wild Sheep Foundation stumble across Dr. Brock?
2: Yeah, good question. So really funny and a lot of irony in there. So I started doing these after school clubs. And then I, uh, with Northern Nevada SCI in that group, including like Marty, um, there was an outdoor camp that was going to start and Northern Nevada SCI was one of the founding members that was going to kind of help put that together. And so I was recruited to be on that board just with my work with being part of those groups, and I was part of Northern Nevada SCI at that time as well. And so I was on that board um, for a year, a couple years, and Brett Jefferson, uh, former board member of WSF, um, was aware of me, and at that point, they were looking to incorporate in to our chapters, kind of a traveling youth wildlife conservation experience. And so they were looking for someone in Reno that could be a teacher that would have maybe branch to the school district to have that buy-in that could do a lot of the organizational roles. And so Brett kind of referred my name. I had at that point never heard of the Wild Sheep Foundation, kind of crazy to think about. I was very much involved with Nevada Bighorns Unlimited, one of the affiliates here in Reno. Um, and... I get this email. It was the weirdest thing. I had two weeks left. I was doing a science camp at the Discovery Museum. I was their coordinator for the summer. And I get this email and it's like, hey, here's who I am. We're looking for someone. Brett Jefferson recommended you. And he wanted me to kind of reach on out. And I reached out and had kind of a little phone conference with him. And he then came down, Gray came down to Reno. And we ended up meeting and and talking a little bit. And from there, I'm like, yeah, this sounds like a fantastic thing to be a part of. And, uh, the rest is really history. I flew up there a couple weeks before school started. And at that point they were in Cody, Wyoming. And, uh, we went out to lunch, had a meeting. I met everyone in the office and, uh, from there on out, I've, I've been part of this organization.
0: So everything you do with the foundation, then that's kind of, um, totally independent of what you're doing school wise. So you got your school, you got your day job, and this is your kind of your night job or your weekend job, whatever you want to your side hustle.
2: Yeah, it's funny because, you know, Gray was very aware I had a full time teaching job and and I had kind of stressed that, you know, I'm just started a family. We had like a six month old and, um, and he's like, oh, no, no, this is, you know, predominantly a summertime deal. You'll you'll do the youth wildlife conservation experience at the Reno Sheep Show. And the prior year I had helped um, at the time there was a lady working for the Sheep Foundation who helped put that on. So it was going to run that YWCE And then probably five or so events throughout the year with chapters and affiliates as kind of a traveling youth wildlife conservation experience. Um, And it comes down to very few events take place in the summers. They're all kind of the rest part of the year. So I kind of have my day job and my early morning and, and late night job with the Sheep Foundation.
0: That's fantastic. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, the nuts and bolts of what you do for Wild Sheep Foundation. So you talked about YWCE Youth Wildlife Conservation Experience, and then you, there's also the Sheep Program S H E E P. So kind of break those down. And is there more going on on top of that with the youth stuff as well, Ryan?
2: Yeah. So you know how it started was back in around 2010 2011, um, the Potter Fields with Midway USA Foundation. Approached a couple conservation groups, and Wild Sheep Foundation was one of those. And they had some funding to have at the national convention the youth area, and they're the ones that came up with this youth wildlife conservation experience. I think um, Rock Mountain Elk Foundation, I think, was part of that. Um, the maybe Turkey Federation was part of that. Um, and so there was some fun, funding there that got that going. That was successful that first year, and so. Prior to me joining, they wrote to the Potterfields and said, hey, we'd like to take this to another level instead of a once a year deal. What if we branch this out into a traveling YWCE? And the Potterfields accepted it um, as part of kind of this endowment deal. They were going to give some funding to get started for three years um, and a certain amount each year to kick it off and then kind of have us be in charge of fundraising from there on out. And so that's where I got hired in was right in that transitional period. We had just been uh, accepted that they were going to help partner with us, and so I came in. We had the money was there, and then it was just designing what will this look like exactly? What do we need? Um, How are we going to do the outreach? Um, And that's how it all started. And that was I think 2012.
0: Mm. So that's yeah. So the program's been around almost yeah over ten years now. So with that, the midway. USA money is still there. There's still an, there's an endowment there, I believe, and you guys get off take every year from that, don't you?
2: Correct. And there's been some changes with that over time. Originally, um, they gave us a chunk of money um, that would run the YWCE indefinitely. You know that that we'd take a certain percent off every year and kind of keep running that. Uh, the rest of the money was kind of a yearly deal that would come in and leave and come in and it would get spent, and it was you know a break even type program. Until we got it going and then, you know, figure out ways to kind of bring in money from there. At one point, Midway came to us and said, hey, that money that you have in your endowment, if you put it in our endowment for you, we'll match it. And so we had $400,000 and when we put it in theirs, they put in 400. That real quickly came pretty close to a million dollars. And so now all of a sudden we're making a lot more money. And since then we spend a lot of time trying to do fundraising and any fundraising um, that we do usually runs our program, but they have specific things like um, shotguns and rifles and um, fancy hearing protection and and optics that they will give to youth shooting teams. We're considered one of those type of shooting teams Um, for free. We can auction those off, raffle those off, we have to put, give back a certain amount, anything over we get to keep, but anything that goes back, they then match again and put in our endowment. So it's a win-win-win it's a situation and we've been able to continually over you know, 12, 13 years, get that endowment up pretty good. It's not fully funding our programming by, by any means, um, but that's how it started is with the YWCE. Sheep program stands for shooting, hunting, uh, ethics Education Program, and that was the traveling YWCE in a sense. It was you know let's go out let's teach kids about shooting, safe shooting, um, hunting, um, and the ethics that inv- is involved in that, um, and just education in general. Um, and Kevin Hurley came up with that that acronym for it, pretty much spare the moment. And so uh, it's kind of <laughs> kind of cool that a lot of times it's hard to come up with a good acronym, and he he spotted out r- right right away.
0: That's awesome. So, back to the endowment, just out of curiosity, are you able to share like what that endowment's at now in terms of how much is in that kitty or, um, uh, or is that?
2: Yeah. I, it
0: doesn't, not a big deal. I'm just curious more than You anything.
2: know, we're, I'm trying to get it to $2 million. That would be awesome. I know where I think we're at like 1.4 or 1.6 million. Um, okay. And then we get to draw off once a year, we can request funding through kind of a grant deal of uh, 5%. And again, as the market goes up and down, it goes up and down as well with that. And so so some years we get a big chunk and other years it's a little bit less. Uh, it just kind of depends on the market uh, with that. But it's funny. I, I got these hammocks last year and um, they say Wild Sheep Foundation on them and I use them to, as giveaway or prizes at certain youth events. And at the sheep show last year, I put out a little thing and said, hey, hammocks, donate to our endowment. Midway will match it and we'll give you this hammock for free uh, with a... Th- Thirty dollar, you know, donation, and we got twelve of those, twelve donations, and you know, it's thirty bucks. But that thirty bucks goes in. They were matching at that time one to one, so that was sixty bucks. It sounds small in comparison to you know one point four million or whatever. But man, all that little bit, I just keep thinking that now I get five percent of that amount more each year, as it comes forever. in forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it ideally, you know, in the next decade, it would be really neat to get that to a point to where it's self-funding itself and we don't have to keep going out and and requesting more money. But like everything else, rates go higher with everything. The youth event at Sheep Show costs way more than it did. Food now is two to three times more than it started with um, in 2012. And uh, audio video uh, equipment and and the labor for that is more money. So even as the market goes up and we're making more, we're spending more and it's just the game that we're all familiar with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you talk about it, you know, initially it was a couple hundred thousand. It was one year funding, then three year, and then it was 400,000 doubled 800. And now you're knocking the door of 2 million and it just, you know, every little bit counts, right? It's, Oh uh, yeah. And I
2: remember it wasn't that long ago. Uh, It was, but it didn't seem that long ago. I'm like, man, our goal, and you could put the goal. What is our goal on the the endowment website? I put, I'd like to get to a million dollars. I'm like, wow, that just sounds amazing. And then it was 1.2 all of a sudden. I'm like, this is so cool. You know, we just keep trying to get donations in there. And I'll I'll tell you, Iowa FNAZ has been amazing. Two years in a row, um, Craig over there has reached out and said, all right, uh, give us four or five items from their website. I have them shipped over to him. Um, a lot of the rifles and guns obviously have to go to the, to the right person there, and his son can accept those firearms. And then they do all year build these raffles, and they'll raffle one thing off every so many months. And then at their their final convention, they do the big. Here's here's the big prizes, and they'll raise you know eight to ten thousand dollars that way on free items. They send that eight thousand dollars back to Midway, who matches it. And now that eight thousand is sixteen thousand, and this this past year they raised I think it was ten thousand two hundred dollars or something like that. That then gets matched. That's that's big numbers. That's that's way better than selling hammocks for thirty bucks each. Um, yeah. And it's something that they're passionate about youth as well, and they're doing this fundraising anyway. And they would fundraise, and they might help me out in, in getting me to their their convention and stuff. And this is just a different transition on. Hey, we're doing this anyway. Why not use what's you have kind of going on there anyway, and do that as kind of our our, our helping the conservation program that you're you're in charge of?
0: Awesome. So uh, that includes optics and other issues. It's not strictly firearms, is that correct? Correct.
2: Yeah. About every six months they change it, um, and they okay. have like coolers on there, the big fancy coolers. They had a trap machine. I think Craig got the trap machine last year and tried doing that. They have all sorts of different guns and scopes and optics and range finders. And they have things that are very affordable for, you know, like knives um, that maybe aren't so much money. And you have to raise, you know, three hundred and fifty dollars and other things you've got to raise, you know, maybe two or three thousand. It's based on the value of the item and you have to make a concerted effort to do it. So if they're saying this item's worth uh, twelve hundred dollars, if you sell two thousand dollars worth, you keep eight hundred dollars send us back the 1200 But let's say the raffle didn't go well or whatever and you raised 1100 You would just send that 1100 and have a good explanation on why it didn't reach that that amount they're looking for. We've never got to that point. Um, I know with Iowa, Oz, we pretty much break even every time. There's not really much left. It, it's kind of that break even point, which is still a win for sure.
0: Right. Awesome.
2: Okay, so now
0: you said YWC is the, the show sheep show experience. So what are we talking? What happens? What does that look like? And if somebody has a kid that wants to get involved, how do they do that? So if I show up with my 12 year old, can they hang out and come and do that? Or how does it
2: work? So on Thursday and Friday of the uh, the sheep show in Reno, we kind of um, have it as a private experience. We bus in kids, we bus in about 300 kids to 350 kids on Thursday and another 300 or so on Friday. Uh, We do conservation seminars on wild sheep. My goal is to have them leave with an understanding of how hunters are conservationists. So I start with hey, let's talk about bighorn sheep. What are their adaptations? Just some education there. Then we roll into the early people that came to the colonies and how there are endless resources. And then move into Theodore Roosevelt and how all of a sudden those that are out using those resources, hunters predominantly, are noticing that the animals are declining. And, and going into the North American model of wildlife conservation and how it was really those, those hunters became the first conservationists of those animals. Um, and then from there, I start introducing that we're the wild sheep foundation. We're predominantly a hunting organization. Our membership is, and then I throw a bunch of logos up on the board, Ducks Unlimited, Rock Mountain Oak Foundation. I say, all these groups are passionate about something. We're passionate about sheep. And then I move into what we do. We raise this money. I tell them this is like a giant bake sale this week. We're all over there trying to make money. And then we spend that money throughout the year. And I show them guzzler work. And I show them all the different science that we do, um, the habitat uh, uh, projects. And then at lunchtime, so that's the first part. That's like the first 45 minutes. Then we have career seminars. We have nine different outdoor careers that I'm hoping to introduce them to. Careers they might not have known even existed and they get to choose three of the nine. So every 25 minutes they go to one session and there's three taking place. We come back and meet as a whole group and then we have our scholarship winner for the Wild Sheep Foundation um, talk. And they're, you know, an undergraduate talks one day and a graduate talks another. And they basically tell their story and how they got interested in wildlife management. Um, And they're a little bit younger so they can relate maybe a little bit to them and the kids and the kids get to ask questions. They talk about what college is life. And if you're going into this field of wildlife management, what steps they can kind of take. And then the afternoon is when it really turns fun. Uh, Last year, I think we had 37 hands-on stations. We're in an area, it's hard to to grasp. We're in 94,400 square feet of space (laughs) is the youth area. It's huge. huge. Um, We have rock climbing walls. We have multiple archery stations. We have 3D archery trap archery, target archery, Um, we have uh, balls that float in the air that they're shooting out with uh, kind of nurse style bows. We have BB gun ranges and pellet gun ranges, lots of conservation, duck calling. Um, A couple years we've had a kayak pool. I'm in the process. That used to be when we'd team up with Cabela's, they had a great kayaking pool. Uh, we just were ordering one this week and we're partnering with department of wildlife. And so it's like a 10,000 gallon pool um, with about three, two and a half feet of water, three feet of water. And you can put four or five kayaks in there and they're learning about boat safety. And so the goal there is not just conservation and wildlife management. I want to inspire kids to find something in the outdoors that they're passionate about that they then spend time in the outdoors. And then they're going to want to make sure those outdoors are around in the future that when the voting laws come up and and they're voting on these wild places and wild spaces that they're going to think on, you know, a time when they did something that had something to do with that. So that's Thursday and Friday. Um, Saturday, we open the whole event to the public and it's open from 10 to four. And it's just the hands-on stations. Um, Those are going, we have free youth raffles. Each kid gets raffle tickets for just showing up. Um, It's a great, great event. Um, usually if people are showing up on a Thursday or Friday with their family and they're like, oh, I thought we could come to this, we usually tell them to come back when the hands on stations are going on. And then we have them just kind of register and they can kind of come in and participate with the school groups at that time. Uh, but it's it's pretty amazing. Last year, we had one thousand eight hundred thirty five kids in the three days um, participate in that. And that was kind of a, an all time record. But, you know, most years are in the 15 or 1600s uh, for that event. And
0: yeah, I'm just like for our listeners process at 1835 kids. And what's the age group? What's the range that, they're you know, in?
2: on the Thursday and Friday, the school groups, we like to target fifth grade and up, you know, okay. fifth grade, yeah. we have a whole day of just fifth graders coming in. Um, and then we do kind of a middle school age group as well. Those seem to be the groups that we can get teachers buy in. They can come in, they can do the field trips. We have a lot of teachers in the northern Nevada that utilize these checkout kits that I've created. It's kind of like a Wild Sheep Foundation teacher kit box, and it has a bunch of hands on stuff, 24 lessons. And so those teachers that are using those in fifth grade and up, we like to invite them in first because their students have already had a little background experience with it. um, And then they get to come in and really learn at at a greater depth with some of that. The rest on Saturday, you'll get kids coming in there at four years of age. You know, they can do a big majority of those stations um, all the way up kind of through high school. A little bit harder for those high school age kids. So we have a different program called the Tracks program. And we partner with some different exhibitors on the expo floor. And Leica was the one that, that kicked this off over a decade ago. And they said, hey, why don't we do something where they're coming out learning stuff through the expo? And then we'll donate a pair of Leica binoculars as part of a raffle. So we have sheep tracks that are on the expo floor, and it goes to six different vendors. They walk through on Saturday with a punch card, and each vendor teaches them something different about the outdoors. And then we do a big raffle. And since then, we have Sitka and Kinetrek boots. Um, Leica, they're always key sponsors, and they donate you know, a whole Sitka suit or Kinetrek boots to the winners. And that's for only 12 years old and older. So we'll get those kids coming in. They'll do a couple, um, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds. They'll do usually the pellet gun range and some of those other things. But usually they're into stuff already and they're there kind of for a different feel and a different experience. Um, Not that they don't do all the things, but most of them will come in for a while, spend an hour, get the tracks card and then go hang out in the expo hall and go through talking to kind of people making those connections and getting ideas on where to hunt, um, things like that.
0: Very cool. So the the kids that you're coming in are any local to like Reno, or they come? You bus them in from rural communities, or you know, are big city communities part of this? Is there a rural urban
2: thing going on? There is a little bit. Um, it's harder with the rural, just because they show up to school at nine, they hop on a bus. It takes forty five minutes to get here. Then they have to leave early to get back you know, before it's done, that their experience is very much shortened. So we've had some, some schools come from um, about an hour away, and it's worked out. One year we hit weather, a bad storm, and all those school buses were canceled. Where the local ones, the school buses could still make it because it wasn't so far. So lately we've really gone more local um, inner city schools. We have some very much at-risk schools where these kids are coming in And it's something like they've never experienced. We're talking, you know, probably 90, 95% Hispanic schools coming in. Uh, This one teacher, she comes, I invite her every year because she comes in. Her kids are excited. She's used the teacher kit the prior month. And the kids, their eyes are just huge as they're coming in. And it's just they don't get to experience this. And they always write me letters. Thank you so much. Here's what I learned. Here's my favorite activity. And it's neat for them to do those reflections as well. So um, I try to, you know, flip around, choose different schools. Usually there's waiting lists, but there's certain schools that we invite year after year, that same grade level, because the teacher knows what the experience is like so they can prepare their students, you know, behavior wise, um, you know, at the seminars, you need to be listening for this type stuff. We'll talk about it back in the classroom. And that makes it flow really nice when you start getting teachers that understand this realm. I did have one school once where they came and the, the principal said, you guys can do all this stuff, but you can't do the BB gun and pellet gun ranges or the archery. So I have all these volunteers running these stations and none of the kids are going there. And so it was a really weird, awkward deal that I wasn't aware that this was happening. Um, and it was just kind of that weird, touchy situation. We do have permission slips we send out and, you know, parents are aware of what they're doing and kind of sign off and all that. Um, But that was one of those things where it's like, well, I'm I'm not going to invite that school back because that's kind of something that we're teaching, the safety aspects. And that's important in our society, how you respect these items that are shooting projectiles. Um, And so, uh, yeah, it's a combination of schools, but pretty much um, all within Reno and Sparks uh, city limits.
0: Very cool. Um, What do you do? Is it all volunteer driven? All the, you know, these different stations, obviously I can only imagine how many volunteers you'd have to do this. Is it all volunteer driven or how do you get your people out for that?
2: Yes, it is a hundred percent volunteer driven. Uh, The only one that I pay for is the rock climbing wall. He just has insurance specifically for that rock climbing wall. So I, I help him out on that, but he gives me a really, really good deal. Um, Last year we had, I printed over 300 volunteer name badges just for the youth area. Um, We have this fly fishing group that comes in and they teach the kids how to tie fishing flies and they'll have 12 people there a day um, just with that station. And our biggest, biggest supporter is the Nevada Department of Wildlife. They come in with their conservation education program and then they reach out to hunter safety um, teachers. And they'll be bringing in, you know, 80, 100 volunteers, it it seems, that they're able to bring in. Without Department of Wildlife, it would not be what it's at right now. So we've developed over the years a really good relationship, um, like this kayak pool. I have the funding. I can get this kayak pool, but I can't store it anywhere. It's in a fill, you know, a little travel trailer, and I can't roll it in and out of a storage shed. So they're going to house it on their facility in a trailer that we will kind of donate and then they'll license it and they'll use it at some of their events through the year. We'll use it at sheep show every year. It's one of those things that you you want it to be a multi-day event to get out this big kayak pool. But you know we have developed some great relationships and because of that um, they really reach out and get all their volunteers to help at our event as well.
0: Very cool. Okay, so YWCE, you talked about 1,800 plus kids last year. What are your total education numbers on YWCE alone? I know there's other stuff too, but.
2: Yeah, so, you know, since the 2011 2012 fiscal year, which was the first uh, YWCE, um, that year there was 120 kids that came to it. Um, the next year there was 601, the next year, 954. It just keeps growing. We're at 14,205 kids who've had education just at Sheep Show um, in, in those years. That's, that then, is
0: absolutely phenomenal.
2: And one year, we you know, we missed COVID that first time. We had our Sheep Show and then COVID hit just a couple months later. That was a really successful year that year. We had a, an all-time record um, of 15,000, you know, 70-some kids. The next year, it went digital, if you remember, with Sheep Show. And Mm -hmm. so that was something that I was able to figure out a way to do the YWCE in a digital realm. Wasn't as good because you don't have the hands-on experiences, but we were able to reach out to classrooms all over the nation at that point and have kids from all over come in. We did the career seminar still. So we had breakout sessions through Zoom that they could go to this session and listen to experts. Um, So that was neat because I could have experts who were in Florida talking I had a metal detectorist live metal detecting in the middle of Nevada, and he's there showing kids as he's digging things up um, their passion for metal detecting and, and, and stuff with that. So that was neat. We were able to get close to 1700 kids that digital way. But it's not the same. You know, the next year we tried doing in-person and a digital experience. It's just not the same. We're, we, we've kind of gone down to just the full Full experience and focus on that, just because that's really what's the the memories are going to be made, and those lifelong, I think, lessons will stick with the kids better that way.
0: Mm, Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's touch. uh, Let's pivot over to sheep and talk about that program and how what's involved with that.
2: So yeah, so sheep is a very fluid um, and complex program that every single event is different from each other. We'll have some events that are maybe just 12 kids, where we're doing a little archery clinic teaching 12 kids how to use sights on bows. Um, And then we'll have other ones that might be 50 or 100 kids. And then other ones were part of larger expos that might have you know 600 kids. So every single thing is a little different. We are involved with a lot of our chapter and affiliates with some of their banquet dinners where we'll run a youth area. So the kids are kind of being entertained working on some hobbies, working on some skills, a little bit of conservation there, Well, their parents are kind of doing the fundraising at the other side of the room or in another room. Um, I've been pretty successful with reaching out um, to different schools in our area. I've made lots of connections, both through conservation groups as well as the school district. And we started doing kind of these archery clinics. You know, I really feel that archery is very accepted in our society differently than shooting firearms. Um, and not that I'm there promoting firearms a hundred percent, but it's the same thing. You're, you're shooting projectiles and it's all about safety. And so I'll get these clinics for schools that will come in. We'll run 20 or 30 kids, an introduction to archery, and we'll do that for several months, once a month. And then I'll partner up with the local indoor, um, gun range, and they'll have these youth, kind of a youth firearm safety class and they'll teach 12 kids at a time. So the first people I reach out to are people who've attended the youth wildlife conservation experience, or maybe these archery clinics, and then you'll get kids kind of doing that. And then from there, we'll kind of start saying, all right, well now we want to take some youth on, on maybe an outdoor experience where we're going maybe um, on a, on a hunt of some sort. Sheep foundation is hard because like ducks unlimited, it's pretty easy to go on a duck hunt. Uh, you know, whitetail forever, um, you know, pretty easy to go on a whitetail hunt, but um, I'm still trying to get a sheep tag. And so it's going to be really hard for me yeah. to pay for a, a youth to go out and shoot a bighorn sheep if I haven't even got to experience that yet. So we try to find other experiences that they can kind, kind of do. And I'm excited right now because in two weeks we're doing a um, uh, wild pig hunt in Texas with some first time mm-hmm. shooters uh, predominantly youth. And it all triggered from these archery clinics that I've been doing year after year. And I started noticing I'd have the same kids showing up month after month and they were getting really good with shooting with my borrowed bows with no sights, but they still were pretty terrible at hitting accurately. So I started a wild sheep foundation archery team last November and 13 kids joined it. And, I, and that was almost too big. I wanted it limited to 10 and, um, Two kids had their own bow out of the 13. So they're all using my bows. We're mounting on sights, trying to teach them. It was chaos. (laughs) Trying to teach 13 people how to use sights the first couple months. Um, For Christmas, over half got bows for Christmas. Then we started getting pretty competitive because now they're using uh, their same bow over and over. Um, We had several then intercompetitions last year. One kid went with me down to Las Vegas to the Vegas shoot, the biggest archery shoot in the world. Um, and he ended up taking first in his division, um, in the state of Nevada. So his, his ego and enthusiasm for the sport went up. Um, he then, um, did the Ruby mountain shoot and we went out with him. I took my daughter and they, we shot that one. He placed there as well. So now we're starting to have kids kind of compete a little bit. So now I reached out to that wild sheep foundation team and said, Hey, we're going to put together this youth hunt, um, you know, who's kind of interested. Um, And so working on, you know, some of the kids have hunter safety already, some didn't. uh, And able to use some of the funding to get some Southwest Airline tickets for them. The parents are paying their own way. I found a great facility down there. Haven't been, but had lots of uh, conversations with the rancher. His mom's gonna cook us dinners. We're gonna pay her to get the food for lunches for us. They have a ranch house where we're all staying and they have 14 blinds. And we're gonna use seven of those each day. And since we hunt just in the evening and night, he's letting us use all his bass ponds all morning long. So it's gonna be pretty cool. We fly out next Friday, Uh, we hunt Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and we take one day off of school on Monday and come back. It's our Nevada day weekend. So we get Friday off of school next Friday. So that's ultimately what I see is, you know, you introduce them, you start finding passions in different areas. And then you keep increasing that passion until it truly becomes maybe a lifelong hobby or skill that they can take with them forever.
0: Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. So when you think back over, you know, the over a decade you've been doing this, is there anything that any story that stands out or any experience that stands out with any kids where you're like, wow, like that, uh, I, I'm sure you've had some experiences, good and bad over the years.
2: Yeah, there's definitely been good and bad. You know, one that stands out is more parent wise. It was my very first, what we call today, um, Nevada outdoor experience. Um, we had done an outdoor kind of youth expo, kind of like the YWCE, but in the summertime at a gun range here in Reno. And I'd worked so hard. We had 22s and shotguns and metal detectors and, and just all sorts of outdoor stuff that you, that, that is different than sheep show that you can actually do outside. And this parent comes by and, you know, I'm running the raffle at the time. And she's like, are you in charge of this? I'm like, yeah, she's like, you know, when I got here and saw that you guys were having kids shoot, shoot 22s and guns, I, I'm, I'm very much against it. I hear a lot on the news about how bad this stuff is. And she goes, your volunteers asked if I wanted to shoot. And so I tried it and she goes, man, I can see why people like it. And I quote, she goes, it's so damn fun. And I thought, wow, that's kind of awesome to hear. But I heard the same thing two hours later from another parent that it was her first time shooting a firearm. And she, too, thought, wow, this was really good how you guys managed it and ran it was educational. And I had a lot of fun doing it. So I think it's neat to see when the parents are getting stuff out of it, even though we're targeting the kids. If you can get the parents involved, it's to be a lot easier for the kids to get involved. Um, you know, some interesting things now is I usually take a big tub of, uh, like Germax or some type of antibacterial stuff kind of triggered from COVID. But when we're doing these archery things at some of these events where we're getting three or 400 kids coming through, touching the bows, all of a sudden I kind of became, man, you watching, they're sitting there and they're eating a popsicle earlier. It's all over them and it's on their hand now touching my bow. And then I grab the bow and my hand sticking to it. You know, I found some ways to kind of keep things a little more sanitary. Um, (laughs) It's just interesting. You know, you have all sorts of kids and archery is the one thing that event after event, I'll have kids reflect. We send out surveys to kids and to parents and archery comes back every time as the number one thing that they like the most. And it's kind of that gateway skill, I think, Mm. you know, you can talk about hiking Talk about kayaking, but it's hard to really experience kayaking unless you have like a pool or something. But archery is one of those things that you see on TV, you see on television, you see on shows, very accepted. But a lot of kids haven't shot it. Usually, 60 Mm -hmm. 65% of all the kids that come to these events have never shot a bow and they shoot it for the first time and they're kind of hooked. They might shoot terribly. But those young kids get so excited. They don't want to listen to the instruction. They want to put it in and just start shooting arrows. <laughs> and you've got to calm them down. Okay, take a breath. Look, we're, we're pull it back. Don't let go. So it's, it's fun. It can be frustrating at times. But I really try to put myself in their shoes. And I just know that they're excited, whatever they're doing. And you just got to keep that passion without, without jumping on them. They're new to this. You can't be, you know, getting mad at them when they're just excited to do something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Um, so how important is youth engagement for the future of what we love, you know, and there's, there's so much politics around firearms and, and, you know, even hunting and all that sort of stuff. And, and that's always the social license aspect of it. And I know a hundred percent why you're in this is for the right reasons It's for the kids. It has nothing to do with the future of of anything. It's just because you're passionate about it and you're passionate about kids, but you know, I hear this over and over and, and you as your primary duty is, as an educator and then an educator for the outdoors and, and a pro hunting message, how important is this to reach these kids and how, you know, is, is this going to save hunting in the future, I guess?
2: You know, I, I hope so. You know, my goal is not to convert people to all be hunters. It's to have an appreciation um, of the outdoors, to have an appreciation of the shooting sports, and to kind of understand that there's these wild places and lands that are out there and, and need to be protected. You know, they're, they're there, they need to be utilized, but they need to be utilized in the right ways so that they're there for future generations. So I'm very hopeful that what we're doing is helping. Um, you don't You don't know the impact you really make. But it is interesting over the years, besides the surveys, I get kids that will come back to me, man, nine years later and say, I went to the sheep show and I'm now majoring in wildlife management because of that. And it sounds Mm -hmm. crazy, but I have had at least eight people that have come back and told me this. Um, I had a a prior student in my class that then did the sheep show because we went on a field trip as our fifth grade there and she's now um, in college and she came back in August. I hadn't seen her in, since she left fifth grade, and she told me all about where she's at in science. And she goes, "Your, your teaching made me interested in science, and going to that sheep show. I can't even remember if she. I can't even imagine she remembered it. Made me go into this field of science that I'm going into. And you'll hear that, and it's really kind of cool. I wish I could track everyone and understand and, and hear all their stories, but you don't. Um, but it's pretty amazing that the number that do run into me somewhere and talk about, about these things. And so I think it's a hundred percent worth it if they have that appreciation. And when it comes down as an adult to making decisions that affect, um, these activities and these places, the more experiences they have, the more they're going to see a need and a desire to kind of protect those, those hobbies and those places.
0: Awesome. So, Ryan, you've literally changed the lives of, what, 20,000 kids? I think we were talking 18,000 plus. Um, well, that's, the that's that... just
2: at Sheep Show. When we combine the sheep program into there, that's another 95,400 kids. So, since 2012, we're actually at 109,628 kids that have really gone through specifically some aspect of our Sheep Show or our sheep program. Uh, that we do that's a lot of kids
0: that's phenomenal absolutely inspiring and jaw-dropping unbelievable so where do you go from here like how do you top that like mic drop let's like i'm done like where does wh- where does the program go um where do you go uh, obviously it's growing it's bigger better than ever there's more money than ever um just stay the course or is there is there a next step
2: Yeah, you know, we're always trying to make it better, you know, as educators and as people in conservation, we always want more out of it. Um, Ideally, I'd love to clone myself and just, you know, Mm -hmm. place me all over. um, But that can't work. So, you know, one major step in that direction was creating those teacher checkout boxes that we have locally. We also have one we ship around the nation to teachers. And, you know, that's all written. um, Every lesson in there is basically written or adapted by me. So it's kind of our conservation method with wild sheep um, so that instead of me going into those classrooms, a teacher's able to take that look through the lesson plan book and choose a couple lessons in the week to kind of teach and execute in the classroom. So that was a way without cloning myself to really um, make a big impact. And we get a couple thousand kids. I think last year was like 35 or 38 classrooms utilize that kit Um, that, that's a big number changing without me specifically being there. We're also partnering up, um, with like the National Bighorn Sheep Center in in Dubois, Wyoming. And, um, we've partnered with them for a couple years, but now we're getting even more, um, on the same track and how we can really help each other out at new levels. And so through the Sheep Foundation this year, uh, Gray Thornton and I had a conversation and, and we decided to kind of roll a bigger part, um, of my budget up to kind of go into really helping them help all of us. And so that might be, you know, trying to get uh, money for field trips into their museum so that more schools can come see them. Um, Maybe partnering up with them and help paying for airfare for them to go to the National Science Teachers um, Association Convention to introduce teachers to these checkout kits and do workshops there on bighorn sheep that then introduce them to the lessons they can take home and utilize. So I think it's really trying to just find the right people in the right places that have the same passions that can take that message, those items um, onward and upward. I'm um, always looking for passionate people. It's the volunteers and the people that, that make the programs work. And so if there's people somewhere out there that, you know, have a passion, want to do something and need ideas or need funding um, you know, I'm the person reach out to me and let's see what we can kind of do and create some, something unique for, for your area and try to do that. The downfall of course is, you know, I'm teaching all school year, so I don't have that flexibility always to go everywhere to run all those things.
0: Well, that's just exactly where, you know, I was thinking is we tried to get you up here this year for our event. We're like, you know, I'd love to, you know, cause we've got, we got funding for it. We can secure funding for it. But you're like, no, I'm already committed for another event, and uh, which is fantastic. Um, but you know, I'm that's where I'm looking. Like, I look at our directors and our volunteers, and we're kind of at capacity. We all have this energy. We want a youth program in some capacity, but we don't really have anyone that's. Uh, and you need that Ryan Brock. You need that volunteer that'll take and run with it and sort of make it their own, right? So, um, yeah, I, I guess this is a call to volunteers. If anyone's interested, you, you have people that will support you. We just need someone to lead.
2: Absolutely. You know, in the National Big Sheep Center, they've been great with me even funding their travel to go to certain events. But now we're even double booked on weekends, working two Mm -hmm. different events and and that stuff. But yeah, ideally, if you have a volunteer in the location, it's networking. You know, I've been running Eastern Chapters Wild Sheep Foundation. We do a big event with theirs and it's I'm able to network distance, you know, over the months ahead of time. But having someone there, like I'm in Reno, I've built up all these connections over time and it's gotten easier and easier and bigger. And so not that an event has to be big and massive. It starts off small. Every event starts off small. And then you take and what worked, what didn't, and just kind of keep growing it. So yeah, I would say advice, don't be scared to take on that role of, hey, I, I want to kind of organize something. It didn't have to be giant and big. It might be 20, mm-hmm. 25 kids, that first one. And, and we look at quality over quantity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, quality is more important than quantity. Having big numbers is nice. It's, it's great to say we've impacted over 100,000 kids. But I, I know that 100,000 kids don't have the same experience with each other as maybe, you know, several thousand of those kids have a totally different in-depth experience, more so than some of those that were more, you know, half day, just little events um, with that. So quality's a very important thing as well. So it doesn't have to be a big event.
0: Awesome. Super inspiring, Ryan, and amazing. Uh, so I guess before we sign off, if somebody wants to support a youth program, support the Wild Sheep Foundation youth movement, how, what do they do? What do they have to get involved?
2: You know, I think re- reaching out to me um, is a great way. Uh, I'm on the staff website of the Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, that's a great way to reach out. And then I can direct you in particular ways that, that you feel would be important for either your time or, or funding with that. I think that's probably the first step. And then we can just figure out where you want to go with your, with your volunteerism.
0: Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for everything. And, uh, you know, you truly are an inspiration. You gave a, uh, a very amazing presentation at our board, board of directors meeting in uh, Bozeman there last month. And uh, I just, it was one of my favorite presentations the whole weekend. I was just fired up when you, you gave your talk. So super inspiring. And I thank you for everything you continue to do day in and day out for youth and the Wild Sheep Foundation.
2: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you giving me the time to speak today.